good morning. I love doing this uh, during church in the park. How many of you enjoy it? Now, in December, maybe not so much, but uh, can you guys hear me? Okay. Um, so if you, if you um, have a Bible or Bible app, open with me to Galatians 6. Uh, I'm going to read it to begin with, and then I'm, I'm going to be teaching out of it, but I may not refer back to it. So if you could find that in the Bible or, um, or find the place, then, um, then do that. So I'm going to go ahead and read it as you're looking for it, but then keep referring to it during the message. Uh, Galatians 6, 7 through 10 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, like these right here. So you've got to do good to each other. So today we're going to be talking about reaping and sowing, planting and harvesting. Questions I'm going to be asking, and, and I want you to ask through this time, are you harvesting or sowing any seeds today? And if you are, what type of seeds are you sowing? Are you harvesting? And what is your fruit? Is Nick giving the instruction to turn me down? The problem is I can't hear what you're hearing. But what is your fruit? Let's pray. Father, I, I ask that you would open our ears and open our eyes, open our hearts to see what we are sowing and to hear your call if it's different from what your call is that we would hear your call to sow in the spirit show us how i pray that there would be very specific marching orders that you give to us this morning amen so the spring and uh past spring and summer river's edge has been working through the book of galatians and this is i believe the second to last message matt is that right Second to last message in the series. Uh, and maybe Matt reserved one more message to correct anything that I say. So that's probably wise. Um, so, so if you haven't been following or if you have, the book of Galatians um, can be summarized this way. My Bible notes in my NIV Bible said this very well, I thought. So I didn't try to rewrite it. Galatians stands as an eloquent and vigorous defense for the essential New Testament truth that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. By nothing less and nothing more. Thought that was pretty good. On one level, this book, this book of Galatians, may not seem like it's very relevant to our time. Uh, most of it deals with the question of whether believers need to be circumcised anymore. Well, that's not a big issue in the church right now, as far as I understand. Or to follow the laws of Moses. Some we would say, some of those laws, yeah, let's do it. Some of those laws, eh, I don't know if we need to, right? So it may, at surface, not seem like it really fits very well. Um, initially, the New Testament church was entirely centered on the person and work of Jesus. Uh, and it was, he was understood to be the fulfillment of the entire law. So they didn't need to focus on all of those things. But now, less than 20 years later, Paul writes this book uh, because this simple and radical new way called the church of Jesus 
was suddenly being corrupted by what Paul called a different gospel. And he went on to declare this gospel, this different gospel, isn't even a gospel at all. So essentially the problem wasn't that they had gotten away from Jesus, it was that they had added to the sufficiency of the work of Jesus. The heresy was, wasn't that Jesus, or the heresy was that Jesus wasn't enough. The new version was Jesus plus. That was a heresy. The gospel had been twisted. So, is that relevant to today? We're not dealing with laws of Moses and circumcision. But is the gospel twisted today? Our home group actually spent some time talking about that. When the gospel isn't the gospel. And I, have, I believe that, that perhaps it's as relevant now as it was then. Is our gospel being twisted? I'm going to submit that individual Christians and churches in our time are being seduced by false gospels more than any time in my lifetime. Now. Right now. About four years ago, I started waking up repeatedly in the middle of the night and hearing this verse. The truth has fallen in the streets. Now, some of you may be listening to that and think, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about, those people. But I, I was seeing the truth being corrupted on the left and on the right, from top down, from bottom up, in the church. The problem is when the gospel, in nearly every case, the problem is when something is, is added or taken away from the pure gospel of Jesus. And Galatians reminds us that it's critical that we keep coming back to the centrality of the, pers of the person and the teaching of Jesus alone. So that's what is relevant, I believe. So, however, here's the problem. When we emphasize the absolute sufficiency of the grace of God through Christ, the question always comes up. What's the question? If I'm covered by the grace of God and I can't add anything by my attempts at righteousness, then what do I do with the commands of Jesus? The Ten Commandments. The Sermon on the Mount. What do I do with all the instructions in the epistles? Well, I believe that Paul recognized the danger here, and he says in chapter 5, verse 13, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge what? Your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And then we get to chapter 6, our verse of the morning. Paul tells us, God is not mocked. We are guaranteed to reap what we sow. So how do we understand this? Does the work of Christ on the cross eliminate our need for holiness and obedience? I believe the answer is... I saw one person say no. Maybe some other people saying yes. Guess what? You're both right, okay? At least I'm going to say the answer is yes and no. Yes, the work of Christ has eliminated our need to meet the requirements of the law. We have been given the gift of grace. Jesus declared on the cross, what? It is finished. It is finished. Done. On the other hand, the work of grace makes our call to holiness even greater. 
Grace not only gives us the power to change, but the motivation to want to. Now that we are citizens of the kingdom, we are called to grow into sons and daughters of the king that reflect his glory. That's a high call. It's not a lesser call. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't take away the commands. Jesus added them and brought them to a higher level. But they're focused on him and following him. The call now is to crucify the sinful nature and keep in step with the spirit. That is a high call. And as an analogy, I'm going to tell you a little example that I think was really fascinating. There's a plantation owner in the 18th or the 19th century by the name of James Burney. He ended up running for president, did not win, in case you know your presidents. But he, he uh, had been a plantation owner, was born in, in a plantation, was given a slave uh, or slaves for his wedding as a wedding present. At one time he had 45 slaves. But then he began to move, he became a lawyer and began to move in opposition in a small way at some point, and then got converted in the Second Great Awakening with Charles Finney. Got converted and totally changed his view and became an abolitionist. What did he do? He freed his slaves. Now, I don't have a record of what those slaves, what their response was, but they were free. And his passion, his mission in life, James Burney's mission, became to be an abolitionist to set the slaves free, totally free. At one point, he wanted to do it gradually, and then he's, he saw, we need, to, we need to set them free now. So that's why he set his own slaves free. So the question is, is I, I, I'm curious, I couldn't find any record about what happened to his slaves or what they did. But, but wouldn't it make sense that maybe one or two, a few of those slaves might take their freedom and in gratefulness to their freedom to Bernie and, 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 and with his passion for setting other slaves free for abolition. What if some of them decided, I don't know if this happened, but it, it seems like some of them might decide to stay with Bernie to serve the cause, not because they have to, but because they got to. This is a vision of abolition that not only set them free, but had given them a purpose far greater than their own freedom. And to me, that's, what we, that's where we are. We've been set free. Why? Because of the work of Christ. And what do we do with that freedom? We join with Christ to set others free. Amen? That is the call, and it's a high call. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, but freedom not for us to indulge in the sinful nature, but to serve one another in love. Now, Galatians was written to reestablish the truth that justification is a work of grace through Christ alone. But sanctification, or the transformation into Christ's likeness, is a work of grace that involves our active participation. Paul says that God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he shall also reap. So he makes it very clear that the work of Jesus secured our eternal citizenship into the family of God. But this in no way eliminates the law of sowing and reaping. It doesn't eliminate that. This is a, uh, this is a law. Whatever we sow, we still reap. This is the law of the natural universe, and this is the law of the moral universe. So corn... 
and you'll get to eat corn on the cob by July, amen? Sow zucchini seeds, and you get more giant zucchinis than you and your whole neighborhood can handle or even want, amen? <laughs> so sin, and you reap corruption. So in the Spirit, and you reap the fruit of the Spirit. If I drive off a cliff because I'm drunk, the truth of justification still applies, and my place in heaven is secure. But the law of gravity still also works, and I'll get to heaven sooner than if I hadn't been drunk. Whatever a man sows, he also reaps. It still works. And I'm going to give you a very crystal clear example. Now, I could give other examples that would be more embarrassing about my sin life, so I'm going to give you one that's a little less. Is that okay? You can imagine other things about me, and they're probably true. You can imagine some things about you. For 20 to 25 years, I indulged in the sinful nature. This is a confession. With a nightly ritual that some of you may be able to relate to. Some might call it an addiction. Some might call it a harmless pleasure. But nearly every night, I consumed a large amount of one of the great inventions of mankind. Ice cream. Amen? Can anybody relate? I'm talking about a heaping bowl of ice cream. Every flavor with toppings, very sweetness and, and fruitfulness that I could find. Now, you might say, well, wouldn't you be fat? No, because I was a tall, skinny guy that was an avid runner. And so um, whatever calories I ate, I could just burn them off the next day. So despite the worries of my dietitian wife, I sowed and sowed this wonderful pleasure of men with no consequences. I had beat the system. Glory. But the scripture says <laughs> that God is not mocked. Whatever man sows to the flesh will reap corruption. So in 2009, as a 49-year-old, I had emergency surgery to save my life. One of the arteries in my heart had somehow completely clogged up. The doctor said it was full of something called plaque. But I knew there was actually 25 years of ice cream. The law of sowing still worked, even though I was justified by faith. <laughs> so this law of sowing and reaping is so powerful when we take a look at how it works in nature. So we have, and, and I need an, uh, my assistant at this point, um, we have different kinds of seeds. Um, that I want to talk about a little bit, just a couple. Um, one of those seeds, of course, is an apple seed. And uh, I mean, we love apples. So one of the seeds is, a, is an apple seed. And I have a seed out of a half an apple right here. And I'm sure all of you can see that well, can't you? No, you can see my fingers. And this little tiny seed... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant it. This is how we plant a lot of spiritual seeds, I think, is in our spiritual life. Okay, hey, I planted some seed today, the gospel, you know. But anyway, I, that may be planting. It may not work. But the point is I plant that, and that has the DNA in it. It has the potential to not only, get this, not only become a tree, but given time, it will produce fruit that also has seeds, and that seed could become an entire orchard. 
It's amazing. Orchard of these apples, except bigger maybe. Now, apple seeds will probably produce what? Apples. On the other hand, Coulter has brought out the thistle from hell. This is Scotch thistle. A little ways away from our neighborhood, about a mile from our neighborhood, there's a, um, there's a, a county little area, uh, county kind of a, a back road thing, a trail, that these started growing. It's an invasive species. And so Coulter needs to be very careful or he will do something that is illegal. He will spread this seed on Audubon Park and we will end up destroying Audubon Park. Now, hold that up, Coulter. This, I took this as one branch off one plant that's about 10 feet tall, about what he's holding there, and about 15 feet wide, one plant. This is one small branch. And Coulter is wearing protective gear. Of course, he should have had goggles on, I'm sorry. Should have brought those. But he's wearing protective gloves because, Coulter, can you feel any of those thorns? Grab it real tight. No, don't do it. You could come up and look at this wonder of nature later. This is from hell. I'm not, I don't know if God created this. I know that's blasphemy, but I don't know. Now, thistle th seeds will produce thistles. And, and um, your yard, your garden, um, could be a Christian garden. But you let these seeds grow, and this cannot be stopped. The county goes out every year, and they spray these. And they kill it, and they always spray them a little too late. So the seeds are already going to pot. And this thing has just taken over this area back in, this, in the woods. And as far as you can see, it's scary. And I took it. I thought, you know, it's okay. It's a county place. And I was taking it out, and the neighbor, who, the only neighbor who could really see what I was doing, came out. And I thought I was going to get in trouble. And he said, hey. I said, yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, he said, you could take all those you want. <laughs> you can put that down. Let's give a hand for my lovely assistant, Coulter. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so seeds produce fruit of their kind. I'm going to go through a couple points about that we see in the natural. Seeds, um, many seeds are sown, but not all produce fruit. Who's ever planted seeds and they never came up? They never produced fruit. Most seeds must be planted where? Under the surface, hidden out of sight. So a person could be sowing seeds in the flesh or seeds of the spirit, but you may not even be able to tell by looking at that person what they're sowing. There's usually a long time gap between seeds sown and the fruit from those seeds. Some seeds, especially weeds, sprout very quickly. This apple seed that I just planted there, now, if the conditions were right and I planted it well and nobody, for, you know, sprayed it with weed killer or whatever, that tree grows up. Does anybody know, theoretically, if, if it worked all, does anybody know how long it would take before we would get apples from that apple tree that I planted in Audubon Park? Throw out a number. Weeks, months, years, three years, five years. The answer is not a plant, not an apple tree that you buy, buy from, a, um, from a nursery, an apple tree that's already sprouted and everything already grown, that they put on a, uh, they grafted on and all that. That might take, you know, three to five years. Seven to ten years. It takes a long time for the fruit that you, for the seeds you plant, for you to ever see fruit. Especially in spiritual things, I believe that's often true. 
This makes verse 9 even more significant. It's really easy to get weary. How many have experienced that? Getting weary at planting in the Spirit. It says, don't be weary. Um, don't give up. The harvest is coming. And the last thing is there are many, um, there are always seeds being planted in our field, whether we intend to or not. Who, who is, um, has a garden or has had a garden and you just kind of, you know, went away on vacation, you come back and it's full of weeds. If we don't intentionally tend to it, things will grow. Weeds will grow. Okay, so those are all things about planting seeds. Now what we're going to do is, is the part of, that I really want everyone to want to encourage you to listen to. I'm going to encourage you if you have something to write on, to write or log things in your brain, not, not a ton of things. Here's what I'm, I'm hoping will happen. I'm going to give an, some examples of what it means to sow in the flesh and what it means to sow in the spirit. And I want, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will target one or two things to move away from and target one or two things to pursue. Okay? So later on, we might have a little time where you can share with somebody one of those things or two of those things. So that's what I want you to listen to. So how do we do this? How do we sow in the flesh? Where? Um, it's kind of an interesting thing because obviously sowing in this flesh, sowing in the bad things, sowing in the spirit, good things. I think it's less about the things that you do as it is what goes into your heart that produces the fruit. In Luke 6, Jesus said that a good man produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. So, I believe the field where most of the sowing takes place is the field of our mind and our heart. I'm a mental health counselor now, and every day in my counseling office, I'm working with people who have some bad fruit in their life, planted by bad seeds. And a lot of those seeds, the majority of them are in their mind. Old messages, old wounds, bitterness, anger. Things that they can't, compulsions that they can't get free from. Relationships that are broken. Marriages. So, one of the main things I do is not only help people to identify some of those seeds that are continuing to plant fruit, but to turn the corner and to start to investing, start to planting seeds, kingdom seeds in their garden, so to speak. So, Here's what I, what I believe is that rather than focusing so much on what we do and don't do, I think it's really helpful to think more about how we are affecting our mind and heart or how we're affecting our soul. I read this book a few years ago. Has anybody read this? Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. Um, it's a fantastic book. Highly, highly encourage it. I've had a number of clients who've read this and then they just their, their life starts changing because of the, the content of the book. And, and it's, it's, it has this basic idea is that if I, I need to pay attention to the nurturing and growing of my soul. What do we sow? What we sow will determine what we reap. So if I pay attention to how I'm sowing into my soul, that will affect the fruit I produce. One of the quotes that is used over and over and over is from Dallas Willard, that was John Ortberg's mentor. 
And he says the important thing is not, the, is not what you achieve in your life, but who you become. It's not what you achieve in your life, but who you become. And who you become depends on your soul and what you plant in your soul. So as I go through some examples, what I want you to encourage you to do is to just ask yourself, does it feed my flesh or does it feed my spirit? So I'm going to ask some, going to go over some things and I want you to just listen to them. I'm going to go try to go through a few things slowly. Think about these things about your thought life, your entertainment, your conversations, your reading, your social media, your news feeds. Those are all the kind of arenas and others. So I'm going to ask you some, some questions. Think about this. Write something down. Is there anything that feeds your lust? Greed. You know, I'm pretty content until I go into Costco. And I see all the things I don't have that are, look pretty cool. Right? Anger. Have you noticed that recently everybody is angry? Does that ring true for anybody? It's like our culture is angry. I'm angry about that. There's a great article just came out in the Inletor in your newsstand right now by my favorite author. And it's called American Vigilantes. And when I say that, many of you probably have a thought like, oh, yeah, I know what they're talking about. Or, you know, or maybe that inlander, you know, that's a liberal or whatever. But, but one of the interesting things about the article is that it talks about the vigilantes as a movement in our culture. And not like this guy or this person or this, this you know, white supremacist or something. It's a movement that seems to be infecting everyone. In other words, it's infecting those on the left and those on the right. There's a vigilantes, traditional maybe vigilantes. What's a vigilante? Somebody who tries to take justice into their own hands and does it in, into such a way that they end up becoming um, uh, lawbreakers. They're breaking the law and trying to enact justice. And, and, and going over the top, out of control. And what's interesting, one of the guys that, that is uh, interviewed is a, is a guy who is a vigilante who was trying to protect a woman who said, this person stole my, that's that car that was stolen four years ago. This person has that, my car in the parking lot right now. That's my car. The make, the model, everything. That's my car. And I got it stolen four years ago. We need to stop this. And so several people went to try to stop Stop this. They got in their way and they started trying to get in the car and, and yelling at him, cursing at him. And the family in there that were innocent started, the, the dad says, take a video. So the girl in the back started taking a video and they're screaming and their guy's yanking him out and he's cussing at him and it's, it's scary. So then they, they uh, do this. Well, it turns out that the guy who was probably one of the main, the, the most threatening guys is this biker dude and he's threatening them. And he lay, later it turns out that they, that they were wrong. It's a mistake. The, the, the biker dude ends up apologizing publicly. But this video goes viral. And everybody in the world sees this. And the vigilante, who he was in that sense, um, the vigil, there's vigilantes of the vigilantes. There's people who are trying to take 
justice, this horrible thing this guy did, and they're trying to, they're going to shame him, and they're, going to, they're threatening him, his life and his family and everything. And he had a, they found a Facebook, old phone number in a Facebook from several years ago, and so then the, um, the phone number of this guy who did this bad thing, the phone number was in there, and so they started, people started harassing all day and night, started harassing his phone number. The phone number wasn't his anymore. It was a 13-year-old girl. And within one hour, she got 500 phone calls and threatening text messages and, and pornographic videos and all kinds of stuff sent to her phone. We are, we are out of control as a people. We are angry. I'm angry as I'm saying it. What may be feeding our judgment? Your cynicism. Your pride. Your selfishness. Fear. Self-righteousness. What hardens your heart? Romans 12 says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. No longer. Church, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, so let's break free from the bondage of this world. We need to intentionally do this daily. We need to break free. There's a simple biblical recommendation for whatever feeds your flesh, what to do with it. Crucify it. You're redeemed for better things. You have a higher call than your news feeds, than your Facebook replies, than your media, than, your, than some of your entertainment, whatever. And I'm talking about me too. Now, that's the bad news. But what, what I think is even more um, powerful to get rid of the, the, the seeds of the flesh is to focus on investing in the spirit. While it's important to eliminate the seeds of the flesh, it's even more important to sow seeds that feed our souls with spiritual food. Because Romans 12 continues, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what I do a lot in my counseling office, helping people renew their mind, challenging them to renew their mind. So just as you may have thought or written down a few items about the seeds of the flesh, now I want to encourage you to, to think about seeds of the spirit. I'm going to go a few things. Recent discoveries in neurobiology tell us that whatever we choose to focus our attention on will actually change the circuitry of our brain. It turns out what is spiritually true is also physically true. We can literally be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So, again, I'm going to take time and go through a few things. What pra habits or practices transform you to be more Christ-like? What fosters love? What inspires forgiveness? What softens your heart? What increases your mercy? What leads you to repentance? What causes you to worship? What turns your eyes back to Jesus? As I give more attention to the condition of my soul, I've come to realize the following, that some of these things for me, I'm going to give you some things that specifically that are critical. I've found more and more the last few years, I have to have these things in my life. I need Sabbath, time with the Lord, time of rest, 
I can't live without worship and prayer. And I need the word of God. I need his truth, the power to change me. I need to practice sacrificial love. Interesting thing, when I practice sacrificial love, it makes me want to love more. Has anybody found that? It changes my feelings of love. I need the body of Christ. I can't tell you how many times I tell our group this, um, that I really don't feel like going to church or going to our group, and I lead it. Yet nearly every single time, I'm rejuvenated or encouraged or inspired or delivered from my selfishness. I cannot thrive without my brothers and sisters. My heart so easily wanders away and I continually need to be reminded of who I am and what I believe. I need you. I need you. And sometimes some of you even need me. I need to learn how to keep in step with the Spirit. That's one of my big themes right now. That's what Galatians says, keep in step in the Spirit. I want to learn what that means. I want to learn how to live that. Tithing and giving help me keep from greed, stay from greed because it reminds me that my money is not mine. It's God's money. And finally, God has given me a gift of a beautiful, wise, and spirit-filled wife. I'm healed when I lean into her, when I listen to her and enjoy her presence. She suggested that one. She actually did, but, but it was true. So as I give and love and pray and fast and live sacrificially, I need to remember whatever I sow, I will reap. Just have a couple more things um, just, just to, um, I guess, uh, proclaim, but I got a quick story. Um, I think it's so hard for us to believe, to realize what we sow and what it does. Uh, when I, I'm, I had a story I was going to tell you, and, and it's an incredible story, um, but it'll take too long. So I'm going to tell you a shorter, a shorter story. Um, there's a guy named David Lee who was uh, uh, on staff for Campus Crusade for Christ. And I wasn't really involved with it, but I got connected with him. And he wasn't as concerned about whether we were, whether I was in Campus Crusade or Crew, as it's called now. He was more concerned about ministering, discipling people. And I was trying to lead a Bible study. I'd never been to a Bible study other than the one I led. I didn't know what I was doing. I hadn't grown up in the church, um, but, I, but I was doing a Bible study in the dorms. And so he started meeting with me on a regular basis. He was kind. He, he embraced me. He valued. He enjoyed me. And I enjoyed him. And he was this really old guy. He was like married. He was like 24. He was just this, but he was a godly guy and a, and a, and a great heart. And he spent time with me. And not only did he spent time and, and, and embraced me and, and was devoted to me. He also corrected me, challenged me. And there was one time I was going to do something that was really kind of not blatantly sinful, but just foolish. And he warned me. I did it anyway. And it turned out okay, but it was foolish. He was right. But at the very end of our time, 
He met with me, very end of that year, he met with me, and I never saw him again. He met with me, and he said, you know, you've got a great heart for God. He said, one concern I have is, is that you, you kind of know about the Word of God, but you don't really know the Word of God. I believe you need to really know the Word of God. And that point in the, that time of my life, God was kind of challenging me, and I took it on not as an insult, but as a challenge to know the Word of God. And so I started devoting myself to memorizing, to learning, to, to studying, to know the Word of God, to work it in my heart. And it was, it was the theme that year for me. Never saw David Lee again. But about 15 years later, I think I was a, at that time I was a youth pastor, and there was this, or had been, and there was this uh, Campus Crusade meeting uh, in uh, in. Spokane, and so I went to it, and there was thousands of people, and I ended up meeting a leader who was from Eugene, where David Lee was, and I said, I talked to this person, I said, hey, do you know who David Lee is, and they said, yeah, is he, is he with you still, he said, oh, no, you don't know, no, he died, he got cancer, and he died a few years ago. And so I, I, I thought, I've got to write to his wife, and I got the address. And I wrote this long letter because I wanted his wife to know I had devoted myself to Scripture. I had continued in the faith because of his love. He had planted seeds that he never saw the fruit but I've been a youth pastor, and I get to preach sermons sometimes, and I lead small groups, and I do counseling. So I bring out the Word of God, and I bring it to people to set them free, to plant other seeds so there could be more fruit. What David Lee planted took years, maybe in some respects, to become fruit. And he never saw it. And I believe the majority of our prayer, the prayers, the majority of our seeds we plant in sharing with people, the majority of things that we do in our life of love, of giving, especially sacrificial giving to people who are wounded, that are broken, majority of it, we don't see the fruit. But God is not mocked with that either. There will be fruit. There will be fruit. Jesus said that anyone who sacrifices things in this life are guaranteed to receive back much more in this life and in the life to come. So let us keep on sowing and sowing and sowing. Keep praying and praying and praying. Then praying still, even when we can't see answers. And I'm, as I'm preaching this right now, I'm preaching to myself. Let's keep giving and never stop. Keep sharing and loving even when we are weary and discouraged. Let's not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. Let us stir each other to love and good works because the harvest is coming. Look, the fields are already white for harvest. 
Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Be the workers. Because whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So the question remains, what are you sowing? We're going to go ahead and uh, move into a time of, of prayer and worship. And as Kelly was teaching, I just uh, couldn't help but think about things I've been examining in my own life, uh, the role of social media, the role of Netflix, these things. Oftentimes when we think about sowing in the flesh, we go straight to like these, these clear things of the flesh. Oh, or, you know, drugs or alcohol or pornography or whatever those things are. And, th and that stuff's real and it's important. But I think for a lot of us, our struggle to get after Jesus um, and and plant good seeds and, and get after the Great Commission is just these these distractions um, that that just blur our minds, that numb us, that steal the vast vast majority of our time. Um, so the worship team can go ahead and come back up. We're just gonna we're just gonna worship and seek the Lord on this issue of sowing and reaping. Um, Nobody but you really knows, like what Kelly was saying, no one but you knows what types of seeds you're sowing. Because it's under the surface. It's a private thing. Are you sowing in the spirit, even though you might not see all the fruit, even though it might take years for the fruit to appear? Or are you sowing in the flesh, which is instant gratification? <laughs> I, I grasp the nettle and I get a result pretty quickly. Um, and, and so we're going to kind of lift our hearts up before the Lord as we continue uh, I'm going to say a prayer over us and then we'll worship together.